Let's turn to Psalm 22. And as I have done in the past, in order to keep continuity, I'm going to have this lesson dealing with Psalm 22 and the text that we'll be looking at. And also in the next hour, as we'll be preaching, I'm just going to continue on what we'll be looking at as we try to cover today, verses 7 and 8. And I have quite a bit of material, so I'm not even sure if I'll get all that done. But if not, as always, Lord willing, next week. But for now... Let's read verses 1 down through verse 8. And as I said, we're going to be looking at verses 7 and 8. So Psalm 22, and we see the title there, To the chief musician upon Ajaleth Shehar, a psalm of David. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? O my God, I cry in the daytime. But thou hearest not, and in the night season, but am not silent. But thou art holy, O thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in thee, they trusted, and thou didst deliver them. They cried unto thee, and were delivered. They trusted in thee, and were not confounded. But I am a worm, and no man, a reproach of men, and despised of the people." All they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head, saying, He trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing he delighted in him. Again, verses 7 and 8. All they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head, saying, He trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing he delighted in him. As I said, we're going to be covering verses 7 and 8 as we are progressing through our sermons here on Psalm 22. Now, it seems hard at first as we read this and to think these are actually the words of the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we know this not because we're so smart or we're trying to make some spiritual application from these things to make it sound like it's Christ. These are actually the words of the Lord Jesus because as we turn to the New Testament, as we'll be doing here this morning, we can plainly see that these are things that the Lord Jesus himself spoke as he was hanging on the cross to pay the awful penalty for sin. And so we need to keep that in mind. It's not just David speaking here, though he was the actual penman, but David here is speaking, as the Lord himself said, in the spirit and thus he is writing down here the things which may have at least in some measure affected him, but in reality, though, it's speaking of some future event, and we know that to be, according to the New Testament, uh, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. So these awful words that we're hearing and reading here today are the words of the Lord Jesus. Now, these two verses, along with verse 6, as we saw last week, we see here a description found in our psalm that's dealing with the derision or the jeers or the poking or the mocking that our Lord Jesus suffered from men, the onlookers who were there. And they were seeing these things or seeing the Lord Jesus hanging there. And these were the comments that were coming out of them as they see the Son of God, the Son of Man, the Lord Jesus there on the cross. Now, 
When we come down to verses 12 and 13, we'll read, Many bulls have compassed me. Strong bulls of Bashan have beset me round. They gape upon me with their mouths as a ravening and a roaring lion. And there again, we're going to see more of the jeers and the mockings that uh, these folks here attributed to the Lord Jesus at that day. Now, up to this point, that is up to verse 6 and 7 and 8 here as we'll be looking, we have seen something of the cries of our Lord Jesus as he is suffering from his father. You see, it wasn't just men and him being crucified and by which he suffered, but also he was suffering at the very time there, the, the pains of, as we would say, of hell upon him because he was bearing the sins of his people. And so God himself is punishing him. And he's doing it, yes, through the crucifixion, but as well, he's making his soul to suffer. You notice in verse 1 there, he tells us that God has forsaken him. He says, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? So here the Lord Jesus, who had had perfect communion with the Lord up to this time, up to, with his father up to this time, is now feeling the abandonment of his heavenly father upon him. And so he complains here now in a good sense, as we've talked about that word complaint, you remember, he complains here of the reaction now of the people. Here's what they're doing. Now, verse 7 and 8 seems to be really, as we talked about that, an extension of verse 6. Remember, he says there, but I am a worm. And as we talked about this, children, he's not really a worm hanging there on the cross, is he? He's not that wiggly little thing, and they've nailed his little tentacles to the, to the cross. That's not what that's talking about at all. But he's using here figurative language, which really is explained in the remainder of that passage and in verses 7 and 8, I believe. But I am a worm and no man. Now, again, we know he was a true man. He says here, though, he's a reproach of men and despised of the people. And here's the outworking of that reproach and despisement. What is it? Well, they're yelling at him. They're, they're sticking out their, as we would say today, sticking out their tongue at him and things like that. They're wagging their head as they go by and they're saying these we, uh, evil, wicked things regarding the Lord. So that began in verse 6, and our Lord now is seeing this. So not only is he experiencing the abandonment of his father and the great pains of all of that, plus the fact that he's hanging there with the nails in his hands and his feet and the, and, and the terribleness of, of all that the crucifixion brings on him. Now he sees, he looks out over the crowd, and he hears and he sees these terrible things being said to him and said of him. Now, surely many who were yelling at him and who were watching this were unaware of the sufferings that his soul was going through as he was made, as you know, a sacrifice for the people's sins. They were oblivious of the great purpose of God in causing the death of our Lord Jesus. And that's, I phrased that correctly. It, it, it was the Father who ordained all of this to take place. It's not an accident. It's not a, a, just a mere uh, bad luck, as people would say, upon the Lord Jesus. This was something that He and His Father and the Holy Spirit before all eternity 
came together and they decided this is what is going to happen. And we read that in Acts chapter 2 and also Acts chapter 4. This was not an accident. This was not bad luck. This was the purpose and plan of God that our Lord Jesus Christ would be the sacrifice for sin. You see, the law of God has been broken. We're sinners. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God, the Bible says. And, and we've offended God. And God is angry with the wicked every day. But God was gracious in that He chose out us some people to save. He didn't leave all mankind to perish. He saved. He has elected some unto salvation. And Jesus Christ had to come and to pay the penalty that his people had broke uh, had had occurred upon them because they were sinners as well. And so the people out in the crowd, at least most of the people out in the crowd there, they have no idea of the great work that's taking place there. All they're doing is simply making fun of it. Now, back to verse 1 there, we know they would have heard, we know they heard the cry of verse 1. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The gospel accounts tell us that. For instance, in the book of Matthew, I want you to notice what, what took place. This is Matthew 27. Uh, this is revealed in a couple of the gospel accounts. One's in Mark, but this was in Matthew, and it's chapter 27. You can either turn there with me because I'm taking my time, or you can just listen to me read this text. It's Matthew 27, and beginning there in verse 46. This is the scene of the crucifixion. And we begin there reading where he says, uh, let's, read, let's start there at verse 45. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land unto the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Now that's what he quoted back in verse one. You remember, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Now we know the folks out there heard that because listen to what the next two verses say, or the next verse anyway. Some of them that stood there when they heard that said, this man calleth for Elias. And straightway one of them ran and took a sponge and filled it with vinegar and put it on a reed and gave him to drink. The rest said, let be, let us see whether Elias will come to save him. So they hear the cry, my God, my God. And you notice in, in the gospel accounts, it's Eli, Eli, Lama Sabathani. And he's quoted there in, the, I guess it's the Aramaic language. But the point there is they, they have no idea. No, they, first of all, they don't know what he's saying. And secondly, they don't know what it's about. Because they're thinking he's calling out one of the prophets, Elias. Because he says Eli, Eli. But that's God. He's calling out, my God, my God. They're misunderstanding and hearing him saying, Elias, Elias. They, they think he's calling an Old Testament prophet. And so they begin to deride him here in that, this, this very instance there in verse 1 of Psalm 22. So how terrible this must have been for all this to go on. So verse 1 gives these wicked men out there even reason more 
to make fun of him and to deride him. They only, this only added to their mockings and so forth. Now, there's no doubt that our Lord Jesus had heard these things in the midst of his great sufferings. And that would have only added more to him. After all, these were the very creatures he created. These are the creation of his hands. And as John 1 tells us, he came unto his own and his own received him not. So here he is, the mighty God hanging on the cross. The one who is the ruler of heaven and earth. And yet he's suffering this great humiliation from his own creatures. Now I also know that he heard these things because this is what he repeats in our text today, verses 7 and 8. These are the words, these are the actions and the words of those in the crowd. All they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head saying, He trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him seeing he delighted in him. You see, he heard that because that's what he's saying here. In fact, he's repeating it back unto his father. So what I want us to do this morning is to look to these things here as we see more of our Lord's great humiliation as he bears the sins of his people. Now, in these verses, then, we're going to notice several things in the reaction to these folks to the Lord's crucifixion. The first thing I want us to notice in verse 7 is that there are some folks out there, and I'm calling them spectators just for the term of it. The spectators are watching. Look at verse 7. He says here, all they that see me, all they that see me. So we know then the Lord Jesus is seeing those standing out there, sitting out there who are watching his death. So we're going to think about that a moment. The point of that is this is a public matter, isn't it? Now it's true for several hours, the Lord caused darkness to be all over all of the creation. Now, whatever they were able to see or how much they were able to see, we're not sure. But they had been knowing what was going on, at least up to this point. And as well, they heard the cry of our Lord Jesus, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. And they, in turn, whether they saw that, they did hear it and they made fun of it. So we know that much either. But as I said, this is a public matter. This sufferings and death of Christ was not something done in a corner. It wasn't something that was private. It wasn't something done behind closed doors. This was a public display of God's righteous anger towards sin. As he is publicly making his son suffer at the shame and the agonies and the terrible great disgrace that is upon him. No, it's not a private thing. I mean, that would be something. A lot of people, when they get in the pain, you get in pain, you just kind of want to go somewhere in a corner and just sit there or lay there and hurt. You don't want people's eyes upon you and that sort of thing, watching you as you grimace or perhaps even cry. You just want to be left alone, don't you? That's not what our father did here to his son. He put him up on public display for him to be seen of all men who were there. 
He was seen of men. Those men who were a little lower than angels made, you know. It was a display of the agonies to those who were before him. Now, we don't know the number of people that had gathered there that day who were standing there, sitting there, whatever the case, around the cross watching. We have no idea. Though we do see some things or some of the people who were there. Again, we may not know the exact number. But let me give you some some instances of the people who were there watching all of this. We know there were the soldiers, at least four of them, as John chapter 19, verse 23 would indicate. We see there in John, I'll just turn, I'll just read there because I have these in my notes. He says, then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts to every soldier apart. So guess how many soldiers that makes? Four. And also his coat. Now the coat was without seam, woven from the top throughout. And so we know there at this point, then that the uh, soldiers began to cast lots for his clothing. And so they were there. So we know they were there. Secondly, we know that there were some women who were there. There was Mary, his mother, who was watching. There was his mother's sister. And there was another Mary, the wife of Cleopas. And then there was Mary Magdalene. You remember she was a woman that had been saved earlier by the Lord Jesus and his ministry there. We also know, thirdly, that there was John, uh, his disciple, uh, the, the beloved John, the one that we know wrote the Gospel of John, who wrote First uh, John, Second John, Third John, and also the book of Revelation. He was there because we know that the Lord Jesus speaks to him and telling him that he should uh, now take Mary, that would be Christ's earthly mother, uh, into his own home. So she was there. Then we know there were the two thieves as well who were present. Remember there was a thief on one side and a thief on the other side who was, who was crucified. The uh, prophecies relating to Christ in Isaiah 53 said that he was numbered among the transgressors. So there were two transgressors sitting there or hanging there beside him. Luke 23 verse 27 tells us, And there followed him a great company of people and of women, which also bewailed and lamented him. So as he's coming out of Jerusalem, there was quite a crowd then who was watching him. And whether they stayed, we don't know. But nonetheless, there were some, at least at the beginning of this incident here. Also, there were the rulers who had come. Uh, The elders and the scribes and the Pharisees and the chief priests were there watching this. They were giving testimony uh, to the death of the Lord Jesus. They were watching his summer uh, suffering. They were some of the people who would stir up some of the jeers and the scorning that would be going on towards the Lord Jesus. Also, we know uh, from Luke 23, verse 49, there were some of his acquaintances, that is people he knew, maybe some of his friends. It says they're all his acquaintances, maybe his brothers and sisters for that matter. And the women that were followed that followed him from Galilee stood afar off beholding these things. So not only is there a crowd up close, there's some kind of at a distance who now are watching as well. And those him he knew, and they would have known him <clears throat> on a personal basis. Then 
There may have been Joseph, though, who was part of the council, as we read in uh, Luke 23 and verse 50 and 51. And behold, there was a man named Joseph, a counselor, and he was a good man and a just. The same was not, uh, had not consented to the council and the deed of them, and deed of them. He was of Armamathea, a city of the Jews, who also himself waited for the kingdom of God. So here was a disciple, once again, of the Lord Jesus, one who had believed upon him. And he too is watching this terrible scene. Then number nine, there was, uh, or Mark mentions other women. For instance, there was Mary, the mother of James, the less, as he's called there in the gospel account, and also Salome. Uh, there was also Simon. You remember the man who was compelled to carry his cross, apparently after all the beatings and the whippings that he received at the hands of the soldiers before Pilate and before Herod, that he was in a weakened condition. And so they caused this man, Simon, to bear his cross. And uh, whether he stayed or not, we don't know, but he at least was there at the very beginning. Now, he may have stayed out of curiosity or what was going to take place. There were those who just passed by. Mark tells us in Mark 15, verse 29, he says, and they that passed by railed on him. So even those who, apparently this was by maybe a well-pathed road in which people were going by, and they would see these three men, and one of them they would have known was Christ, or as they would have known him as Jesus of Nazareth, perhaps, and they as it says in the text, they wagged their heads at him and they railed at him. In fact, they even said, oh, thou destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days. You know, come down if you can do that sort of thing. So they were mocking him. And then there were those who, as I mentioned earlier, the chief priests, scribes, and the elders, as they were the ones who gave testimony against Christ they were also witnessing of his death as well. So you see there when he says, all that see me, there was quite a crowd there, quite a number of people who knew him very well, who knew him as they had dealt with him in his ministry, and possibly just people who were curious as they were going by. Now you notice it says here, all they that see me laugh me to scorn. Now, this is not to intend to mean that every single onlooker who was watching this terrible thing take place scorned him. Not everybody did. That's not what the meaning of that text is. All they that see me to laugh. The word all there would be limited to those who were doing it. And by the way, that's a good way to interpret because... There are many times we see the word all in Scripture where it doesn't mean all, so you have to be careful with that. Well, how do you know when it's limited? Well, I'll give you some clues here. One, if we know because the remainder of that verse, all they that see me laugh me to scorn, they shoot out the lip, they shake the head. So it's only those who were doing those particular things. So the all there would be limited to them, the scorners. Now think of that. It wouldn't have been his mother, do you think? You think his mother was out there making fun of him, poking fun of him? You think she was out there scorning her own son? No, I don't think so. You think it was the women who knew him, who came to see him, who followed him, 
who actually at one time, you remember the scripture tells us that they ministered him uh, to the Lord. In other words, they served him. They, they took care of his bodily needs in that sense. You believe his disciple John, who loved him greatly, who leaned upon his breast that night of the table, do you believe that he was out there scorning? Or Joseph, who was that counselor who didn't agree with the rest of the council, who was willing to put him to death, but he did not. Do you believe that he was doing that? Do you believe all those in the crowd who sincerely, may not have been many, but who sincerely and in truth loved the Lord Jesus, that they were the ones who were scorning him? Of course not. How foreign that is to a sanctified mind to believe that one those the one who would love the Lord Jesus in truth and sincerity would ever do stuff like that. Now Matthew tells us the word spoken here found in verse eight. He trusted on the Lord, and he would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing he delighted in him. Now that was the words of the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. That kind of gives us a clue to some of these people who were saying these things. Another thing we can say about this is that not everything that they said was recorded. I mean, these are several hours. This is all day long event. And we can rest assured there would have been a lot more that was spoken that day in regards to the Lord Jesus. It's just not recorded for us. But these things here, of course, are enough. Now, the next thing I want us to see is what they did and then what they said. I still got a few more minutes left. So let's talk about that a moment. What they did and what they said. Before I actually get into that point specifically, I want us to notice something by, in which the spectators gathered the way and manner in which they were together. Now, this is kind of a revealing thing. At least it was to me as I was studying these things out. I thought, wow, that's kind of strange and kind of different. But there were different ways in which they were watching. For instance, some of them stood. They were just standing there. Luke 23.10 tells us, And the chief priests and scribes stood and vehemently accused him. Chief priests and scribes. They were standing. Some sat down. Uh, and that was to me the, the strangest thing. But then I thought, well, it's not so strange because after all, they know this is going to be an all-day affair because, uh, you know, even when the soldiers came to break the legs of all of them, this was at the end of the day before it got dark, uh, they didn't break the Lord's legs because he was already dead. But the other two weren't, so they broke them. So this was something that was a long time in happening. You just didn't die you know, quickly on the cross. This was a terrible, terrible way to die. And then we have people just sitting out there watching. Sort of like a spectator sport. They came and they sat down to watch. Maybe perhaps they were tired. Maybe some were feeble. But I'm sure there were just some who thought this was going to be a great thing. I'm going to sit and I'm going to watch this. Matthew 27, verse 36. And sitting down, they watched him there. There were two, this is how they gathered, they were hanging by him. 
So there was a reality in which there were one on one side of them and one on the other. They weren't in the crowd. They weren't sitting down. They weren't standing by. They weren't of that crowd who were just passing by. They were actually hanging by him. And they got into the ruckus as well at first. Mark 15, 27 tells us, and when... And with him, they crucified two thieves, the one on his right hand and the other on his left. Luke tells us, and there were also two other malefactors led with him to be put to death. And when they were come to the place, which is called Calvary, there they crucified him and the malefactors, one on the right hand and the other on the left. And as again, as I mentioned, uh, over 800 years before this event took place, the prophet Isaiah said he would be numbered with, among the transgressors that day. So there were two hanging there. Some, as we had already talked about, had, were passing by. Mark 20, 15, 29, and they that passed by, they railed on him. Uh, some were uh, stood by the cross. In other words, they were up close. John nineteen twenty five tells us, Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Cleopas and Mary Magdalene. So they were near the cross, not out there in the crowd somewhere wandering around or sitting down. They were there standing close by, watching very closely. And then there were some who stood away. Luke 23, verse 49, And all his acquaintances and the women that followed him from Galilee, stood afar off beholding these things. Matthew twenty five fifty five, And many women were there beholding afar off, which followed Jesus from Galilee, <laughs> ministering unto him. So there we see something of the posture of these people who were there watching him. All sorts. Probably not unlike today, if this sort of thing was still going on. Of course, we've done away with public uh, uh, capital punishment and so it's all done behind closed doors but in that day that wasn't something that was practiced it was meant to be a display of at this point the righteous anger of the Roman government the Jewish people but more so of his father who was punishing him from sin Also notice you can in verse 7, our Lord is saying these things and He's saying it, this is what they're doing. This is what they're saying. Now He's saying that to His Father. He's not broadcasting that to us per se. But you remember beginning there in verse 1, this has been sort of like a prayer all along. The Lord Jesus is speaking this and He's telling this to His Father. But I'm a worm and no man a reproach of men, despised of the people. All they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head saying, he trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing he delighted in him. You see, our Lord is using these things. He's saying these things to God, his Father. And these are more arguments. You remember we spoke a few weeks ago that the Lord Jesus here is is giving his father reasons as to why he needs to be heard. Remember, he says, Why art thou so far from helping me? And from the words of my roaring, O my God, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not in the night season, and am not silent. And then he justifies God, and then he says, Look, there have been men of old, my fathers, who have cried, who trusted in you, and 
and believed upon you and you delivered them. But you're not delivering me. And so now he's telling God, I'm a worm. Look how I'm being treated. I'm being treated as a no man. And here's what they're doing. They're laughing at me. They're scorning me. Poking out the lip at me. And they're shaking their head and they're saying these things. So all this he's speaking to his father. Now what did they do? You notice, he says they laughed me to scorn. Laugh me to scorn. They're laughing at me. That's a jeer type of a laugh. It's not ha ha, we're you know having fun today and you're part of my but it's 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 a terrible <coughs> mocking. Terrible mocking. Part of the reproach of men, part of that despising that we see there in verse six is that they laugh him to scorn. We've read from other passages that, you know, they were wagging their head, shaking their head at him. And that shake of the head was in disgust. It wasn't a disbelief because this was something they would have known since the Roman government got got there. Because they put people to death this way. But this was a wagging and shaking of the head of disgust. You see, this was a public display of something. He's just the worst of criminals were crucified. They had heard at least who he was. Many of them heard some of the teachings of his own lips. They had watched his miracles. They had seen him raise the dead and now they see him condemned as a criminal by the chief priests and the scribes and the elders and the Pharisees he was sentenced to death you remember for for blasphemy that's what hung him on the cross because he declared he was the son of God God himself so now they mock that you see They see him now as a criminal hanging there to pay for his crimes. Instead of him being the object of their pity. Wow, look at that poor man suffering. He's the object of their scorn. Rather than being the object of pity and and uh, the object of reverence as he's God, you know, and fear, they're laughing at him. The Son of God, the creator of the universe, as we've been studying in Hebrews 1, created all things, upholds all things by the word of his power, and they laugh. I spoke a moment ago about them seeing him. And it wasn't just that they could see, that is with their eyes, that sort of thing. But the word there carries the connotation that it was more than just a simple looking. It meant that's how they perceived him. They, this is how they imagined him when they looked at him. He was one to them, an object of contempt. 
And as one said, they insult his character and his hope. You see, they're hearing him cry. They're hearing him cry to his father. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? While they misunderstood some of that, at least some of them did, but nonetheless, they know he's crying out. Instead of saying, oh, listen to the poor man, he's crying out for help. They're mocking him, making fun of him. They're insulting him. And they're insulting, as one said, his hope, his hope on God, his hope for help. They're making fun of. Uh, I'll stop there because we're out of time. Then I'll get to the idea they shoot out the lip here in the next segment that we'll be talking. So we'll stop there for a few moments and then we'll uh, gather back at 11 uh, for the second service. So out of time. Thank you for listening.